Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into this edition of the Sunday Smash with Irish Show Fell, the managing editor of Warchant.com, the ultimate symbol sports source. I'm Aslan Hutchivandi. Welcome on into the program. Won't you subscribe to our website and our YouTube channel? It's in the lower right corner of your screen, the subscribe now button. And once you're done doing that, hit the thumbs up button. It's, it's a hand in the shape of a thumb pointing in the up direction. Tap on it. Share your support. We certainly would appreciate it. Irish Show Fell, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Aslan. How you doing, man? Good, man. I was rooting for Scotty Scheffler to, to melt down there a few minutes ago as he took way too long for a couple tap-ins, man. Just go ahead. you got like five strokes to play with, man. Just get it done. But uh, been having a good Sunday, just processing the spring game. How, how do you like the spring game? We'll dive into it, I'm sure, uh, in great detail. Uh, but how does it feel to, to come off a, a Florida State football game on a Sunday? I think it would feel a little bit better if we knew they didn't have practice again on Tuesday. Uh, because it doesn't really feel like we've got total closure here. But maybe that's a good thing because, uh, you know, it wasn't the prettiest affair. And, um, you know, my biggest takeaway was just, you know, I guess trying to wrap my – not wrap my mind, but just kind of like reckon with the idea of like what do you want the spring game to be if you're Mike Norvell. You know, and I think uh, I think a lot of times we speculate that maybe coaches should make it more of a marketing tool, you know, a, a way to put guys in the best positions to show what they can do because it – We'll get fans excited and then they'll help them go buy season tickets and give contributions and get excited for the season. Whereas I think it's pretty apparent Mike Norvell saw that as another practice uh, and he wasn't going to do anything to kind of gimmick it up for the offense. Although maybe a little bit in the second quarter, that may have been by design that we don't know for sure. We didn't ask him about it, but you know, the first five drives uh, for the first team offense, all when it gets the first team defense and they didn't do anything. Uh, and then, the only points up to that point, I think, were a field goal on the, by the second-team offense against the second-team defense. And then they let the first-team defense go against the second-team – first-team offense go against the second-team defense for a couple series, and they put together two touchdown drives. Meanwhile, they threw the second and third offenses against the first-team defense, and that was just a nightmare. So, um, you know, I guess from that standpoint, it's not totally unexpected because that's what we've been hearing about in, in the scrimmages. But I kind of wonder – I don't know. If you were the head coach, would you try to maybe – you know, throw, throw some fresh meat out there for the fan base. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to see like a, I want to see a full on game, man. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I get it. Like you don't have maybe the ideal numbers to work it out, but I, I think you've, you've been mixing and matching so much and cross training so much. It would have been nice to see those two kind of quarterbacks lead, uh, you know, two teams against one another. Um, but I mean, 
I see a lot of people talking about the throwing game, the passing game, and that maybe not being uh, showcased as much. I, I don't think they really dialed up a lot of stuff. So maybe we should also kind of really take that into account that while there wasn't those big explosive plays, I don't really think they tried for a lot, which I guess goes to your point about it was it was kind of a practice. You know, it, it really wasn't that kind of, you know, hey, we've got everything all tuned up. Voila, here we go now, everybody. So. Yeah, no, and I think that's a good point uh, because even the passes that were incomplete, the vast majority of them were kind of underneath either to the to the tight ends or wide receivers under like it was all like six to eight to ten yard passes, which again, I think from the fan base's perspective, we've been writing and talking in all spring about how we've seen some development of the downfield passing game. And then they finally come out on Saturday and they don't get to see that at all. And even what they get to see is some drop passes. And so so from that standpoint, again, it doesn't at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Uh, I'm sure some fans who are optimistic are not going to be bothered by that. Some fans who are pessimistic are going to be like, aha, you know, this is, I knew they hadn't gotten any better. Um, the reality is, you know, we'll all see in August or September. I just I think it's a little bit unfortunate from a, from an enthusiasm standpoint, because I don't, you know, I mean, the, the running game was nice. I mean, I thought you know, Trey Benson had a really nice day, obviously. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Trey Sean didn't carry it much, but he looked fine. Lawrence Tofili, I thought looked better uh, than, than probably we've seen him. Uh, in a, He's in like the fourth most talked about career. running back. Like right. we don't talk about Lawrence Tofield at all. And they run him out there with the first team to start things off. And it's like, ah, what do we and know? We tell you all this nonsense. And he looked good. I mean, he yeah. did look good. So, uh, I mean, he definitely looked like he was running with more authority, more authority. Um, so the running game was good. I mean, that's a positive. Uh, I thought the offensive line overall didn't play terrible. I mean, there's some, you know, against that first team defense, there's some mismatches, but, um, you know, I guess that's the only thing. For you know, you just know fans want to see something good happen, especially with the wide receivers. And one of the guys we've talked a lot about, Johnny Wilson, you know, had a, had a rough day. I mean, he just dropped some passes, and uh, he's had some of those days. He's also had some really good days. Um, they just we just caught him on a bad one on Saturday. I just again, I just think from a you know, man, that like we we it's this job is more fun if the fans are enthusiastic and excited, and I feel like that's going to tamper some of the enthusiasm over these next four or five months because there's not another opportunity to really show anything until preseason camp. Well, I guess the good news, nobody's mad at us, Ira. Nobody's like, hey, you guys uh, have been saying X, Y, and Z. Or, I, mean, I haven't, but maybe because I'm never <laughs> the one that's saying, hey, we're going to be awesome, so I don't have to deal with any of the, uh, uh, the disappointment. But it, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of folks like San Antonio, Noel Lee here talking about, I liked it. I disagree with those that are stressing about not seeing an explosive passing game. Game plan was kept simple. We got to see some things that we were hoping to was a success. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. And the defense did look good. I mean, you know, and that's, you know, it, it's not, it would be a worse sign. You know, we always talk about this every spring is like, what do you want to see? And it certainly would be a worse sign if the defense was just not stopping anybody. Speaking of that, there was a funny, um, I was, I was searching for a couple things on Twitter. I can't remember what I was searching for, but I was searching and it brought up some old tweets. And I found a tweet uh, that I had tweeted from Mickey Andrews in 2009. Yeah. After, after this, after the spring game, I should retweet it. It's really funny. Uh, said that Mickey Andrews was asked what the be- what the best thing out of the spring was, and he said that it's over. And and that was that 2009 defense, which was just <laughs> horrendous. So could you imagine him like at the end of that spring thinking, "This is what I got to coach," you know, in, in games and form. Like I didn't know at the time how prophetic that was, but I'm sure he probably had a feeling in spring of 2009 that, man, we're going to be in trouble in that fall of 2009. 
I just, I'm so proud of you for tweeting in 2009. You were a pioneer, Ira. It took me until like 2010 to get on the bird app. <laughs> yeah, man. You know me, man. I'm always looking for a way to uh, make a buck. Shout out to you. I, I know you don't, you're not the, you're not, you know, Harrison Prieto. You're not the weatherman. Um, but I know it was gusty out there, but there's a lot of folks talking about it was kind of like borderline, I don't know, like Lambeau Field in the middle of, of January. Uh, Mark Leonard says kind of hard to throw deep intermediate passes with 40 mile an hour winds. I'm not too concerned about the quality of the passing game moving forward. I yeah. mean, there was there was yeah. gusts, but it wasn't like a, it was it was all right. I thought I mean, they, you know, we it, asked it, a couple of players about it, and they were like, hey, it is what it is. Well, I mean, that's what they have to say. It was definitely windy. I mean, you could see it on Micah Pittman's punt return. I mean, now obviously a punt is going to be affected more by the wind than, than a pass down the field, but it was definitely an issue. I mean, the, the flags were flying. Um, I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, it was definitely, and even when I asked, um, I think when I asked either Pittman, who was with Trey Benson? Was it, um, that it was, was that was Jordan Travis, right? Yeah. Verse, and it was Verse and Pittman. Right. When I asked Jordan about the wind and he kind of, when I asked him, Trey Benson kind of like, like rolled his eyes like, yeah, it was a big, issue oh, okay. um, but Jordan you know had to say no it wasn't that big of a deal and you know but the problem is because fans have seen this offense and because they've seen this passing game for the last year or two you can't bring up the wind at this point you know like we we we've been talking them up and saying it's going to be improved for the you know mostly because the receivers are better and also because the offense offensive line is going to be a little bit better and then the, the quarterbacks are more comfortable and then the first time people see them, it it doesn't go well. And then, you you know, we can't be like, oh, well, it was windy. You know, I mean, it, you know, that just wouldn't. So we, we can't make that a big deal. But I do think it was a factor. The bigger problem is the drop passes. If you look at those drives uh, and the, the drop passes and the, the phantom sacks. I mean, if you look at those, you know, the first drive, uh, Jordan, you know, they go from the 25 to the 34. They start their own 25. They get down to the 34. It's first and 10 at the 34. They call a sack on Travis. They call it, it was a nine-yard sack. Man, he, I mean, he, it would never, there's no way in a million years he gets sacked on that play. But they call it a sack. Then his next pass, Johnny Wilson drops it. So now it's third and 19. So, you know, is that a bad drive by Jordan Travis? No. I mean, they marched him for the, tw he completed that pass. The 10 yard pass to Treshawn Ward on third and eight was a really nice pass and catch. Um, and then they had two consecutive passes after that that were decent gains for first downs. Um, and so that was a factor as well. Like I think the next drive or two drives later, there were two sacks that were just, again, phantom sacks. So on the one hand, you know, we can't make excuses because people need to see results because it's been too long since this passing game has been really good. On the other hand, you know, there are some, probably some reasons for it, but that's where I go back to Mike Norvell and stop calling the quick whistles and maybe, <laughs> and maybe set up your offense to succeed because, Again, because you know fans are going to be skeptical, give them a reason to to believe is what I would say. But I, I don't think he cares. I think he – Yeah. Well, maybe he's so confident they'll be yeah. all right, Ira, that he doesn't need to maybe. do it, right? Right. Maybe. How confident are you in, in Trey Benson? You've you've been on him day one. You know, going back and looking at it, I mean, mo all, all of his runs were against Daniel Lyons and Bishop right. Thomas and Josh Farmer and, and Malcolm Ray being in the middle. Um, and then, you know, Shaheem Brown, Sidney Williams, not, not the first team quote unquote defense, but at the same time, he doesn't have the first team offensive line blocking for him either. So uh, enough to kind of prove your hunch, right. You think that the Trey Benson could be a, a, a next factor, not even an X factor, but like a, a legitimate 
kind of maybe game-changing running back for this program this year? You know, I think the thing is, uh, I do think, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see anything yesterday that made me confirm it. Um, I'm just kind of having fun with the fact that I, I did think he was early on, and a lot of people didn't. But, um, yeah, you know, I think he uh, the combination of speed and size is a good combination. And the fact that he's got some competitiveness to it. The reason I was so excited about him was some of the things I'd heard about him from people around the coaching staff. But then also that interview we did with him, that first interview in January when he signed and he kept getting asked questions about his injury and his health and kind of, you know, doubting kind of questions. And you could tell in that interview, he wanted to go get on the field at that minute right then and show us that there's nothing to worry about. He can play. And that it just tells me something. I mean, there's something about that kid. And then now, three months later, when you hear people talk about him, they talk about the size and the speed, but they also talk about just, you know, what a great guy he is in terms of the practice, locker room, the intensity, uh, the focus. I mean, all those things. He's a plus in all those categories with a 6'1", 215-pound frame that also can run really fast. I just, yeah, man, I'll, I'll take my chances with that guy. Lebo Debo says, I'm intrigued after watching the spring game. Benson, Ward, Douglas, basically the entire running back room is loaded outside of Pittman, who looks, dare I say, Anquan Bolden in the rough, especially the uh, uh, the wide receivers. I don't know. I can't finish the thought. Sorry, Lebo Debo. You want, can you interpret what he finished the, those last few Maybe words? just um, – except the wide receivers are not good. Except, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's pretty fair. Although, I don't know. Maybe dare not say Anquan Bolden yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. But though, I mean, but I, I think he has been consistently. I think Pokey's had really good moments too. Pokey hasn't had bad days at all, but I think maybe it's it's the new shiny toy syndrome. At least for me, I've been I've been very impressed with Micah Pittman, um, especially in relation to like J- Johnny Wilson and the drops. That kind of affects a little bit of it because that's kind of what we'd heard a little bit about in, in his stint at Arizona State. Uh, I mean, I think his freshman year he dropped a really pivotal third down pass against uh, Southern Cal that ended up costing them kind of the game. Uh, then he dropped one against BYU uh, later on in that season, or maybe it was last year. Um, so there's, you know, he's had a couple crucial drops. But Micah Pittman, for me, has been uh, maybe has kind of lived up to all the expectations I had. I think I saw, you know, I've seen it in practice, and I think I saw a little bit of it on, on Saturday, kind of confirm what I thought maybe somewhat in the vein of, of your uh, idea about what Trey Benson can be. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, Micah does seem to catch most everything. I mean, he's got sure hands. Uh, he, he obviously runs good routes. Um, but then on top of that, I think what people get excited about, and you talk about, you know, kind of the determination is, you know, on that, and, and maybe the difference between him and a, say a Pokey Wilson or somebody else is, you know, he, he's going to lower his shoulder and plow over two defensive backs to get in the, now they weren't fourth year, you know, to your point about Trey Benson. I mean, he was, I think it was Sam McCall and I can't remember who the other safety, the safety was there, but it wasn't, you know, he wasn't running over Jamie Robinson. Um, so you know, he's a couple years older than some of those guys. So, but he did, he bullied over them and got in the end zone. That's something, there's a determination there that fans love. I mean, fans are always going to love that. And so he's going to be a favorite without question, but yeah. And he also catches just about everything thrown his way. And he's shown an ability to go up. There's nothing to not like about Micah Pittman. Um, he's not a guy that's going to stand out physically because he's only five eleven. but you know, he's definitely a strong kid, tough kid, good hands and that competitiveness. Again, so many times we've talked about it, in years past where, you know, sometimes a, a receiver has to break a tackle or make a guy miss it. They, they can't just like they can't scheme up every yard for a running back. They can't scheme up every yard for a receiver and the yards after the catch, I think with him um, could be a really big deal. 
I don't want to put undue pressure on the poor kid, but just the fact that we have, I have a pretty good kind of level of confidence that he's going to catch every punt. Um, and then maybe at least, you know, won a game, maybe break it off for 10 yards, 12 yards. Uh, and I don't really mean that facetiously. That that's going to help out with this entire offense, the entire, uh, you know, production uh, is getting better field position. That's something he brings. Wasn't able to show it on Saturday, but again, they weren't, they did yeah. some special teams work, but it wasn't like, you know, full on out special teams work. Uh, Weldon Taylor asks, uh, do you think we have gotten to the point where we put too much stock in the spring game? And before you actually answer that, Ira, a reminder, at bottom of the hour, we're going to have Michael Langston join us here to talk about recruiting. See a lot of folks asking about Amarius Mims, a former five-star offensive lineman from Southwest Georgia, who uh, is at Georgia, the University of the Defending Champs, put his name in the portal. We'll see what Michael knows about that. Come up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but back to the spring game, Ira, are we putting too much stock into it? I, I, you're not. Is, is the public at large, maybe? Uh, yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I don't know if people are or they're not. I don't know if there's a real consensus, you know, and, and you know, it's, somebody brought this up. I was talking to somebody. It might have been at our uh, WordChamp meet and greet uh, at Hotel Indigo on Saturday, which thanks for everybody that came on out. We had a good time. Um, it might have been somebody who was talking to there about the spring game, the way it used to be seen and perceived, and then the kind of the way it became. Like, remember, the, I guess when Jimbo's here, they made the big push to you know have a huge crowd, and he wanted every time, every time we go in that stadium, we want to have a big crowd. And I, I mean, there were years in the when they were renovating the stadium where they had it over, at, you know, Capital City Stadium or whatever. They moved it around. Um, it, it's never, it was never like that big of a deal. And it seems like over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it's become kind of a bigger deal. And and now you're selling tickets and you're having the concert afterwards. I guess that's my point is it's almost like mixed messages, you know, from a, from a standpoint of, you know, the, the coaching staff is, is treating it like a practice, which is cool, but you're marketing it as a game. You've got the concert afterwards and there's been this big push to get crowds at these kinds of events. Well, they want to see, you know, something more like a game, I think. So that's that's what I would say. But as far as to the question, do we take it too, put too much on it? Probably, yeah, either good or bad. I mean, if somebody has a big game, you know, if, if Johnny Wilson had, you know, caught, caught those passes, that doesn't mean he's totally over his issues with drops. He dropped them. That doesn't mean he can't play in the fall. Um, it's just one practice or one day on that journey. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Do you take it? How, how seriously do you take it? I still I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I just I believe a lot of the folks that are saying relax, it's just a game or it's just one practice, not a big deal. If they had gone out there and Jordan Travis was just throwing dimes left and right to Micah Pittman and Johnny Wilson and this offense looked amazing, there had been a little bit of like, oh well, our defense, what's happened to the defense? But I think overwhelmingly it would have been like, Holy smokes, we look really good. I believe <laughs> let's do this. Right. So I mean, listen, right. that's an opportunity to go in that, into that stadium. You're on national television. You know what the kind of the stakes are. But at the same time, like going back and looking at the replay, I don't really think they went for it. Like we've, we've seen them practice yeah. 13 times prior to this. Well, we haven't seen all 13 of them because that includes the scrimmages that we're not able to see, which that's fine. Uh, just clarifying and not complaining. Um, and they, they would take some shots, uh, especially in those early sort of 11 on 11s where they go tempo. Um, you know, maybe just that wasn't part of the thought process. They did run the ball a lot, man. They they really yes. did run the ball a lot. Well, and, and good running it. So. And that, but that also accentuated the drops because when you're running it and you set up third and three and then you drop the pass, well, now your your drive is over. Whereas if you're throwing it on those downs and you have a drop, you have another chance to pick that up. So 
yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it was it was kind of conservative. Maybe it was because of the wind. Maybe it was uh, you know just not wanting to show too much. I, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't. Again, I think to me it feels like if you're creating a, a, a if you're trying to create some buzz, that was not the way to do it. Just in general, the whole thing, the whole the way the whole day went, the the way they had the music playing during the plays. They had the, you know, I'm not trying to rip everybody, but it just, to me, the festivities were not totally well planned. You had the Hall of Fame uh, people getting introduced while the game is going on. Uh, the people at home, the ACC Network, I know Gene yeah. and Tom talked about it yesterday, and I know you saw the ACC Network broadcast. Half the game, they didn't even show the game. They just had interviews and stuff. And it's just like, you know, Jim Phillips, when he took over the ACC, this was one of the first big things he talked about was, you're you're going to broadcast these these spring games. You're going to broadcast pro day. These are all an important events for our conference. But then you don't really use it to to kind of promote the conference. I don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, you want to talk about the production of Saturday? You were in the stadium. You you were not uh, you know held hostage to just <laughs> absurd production decisions in the truck, man. I'm sorry, and I, I know what it's like to to have to execute those things. It's not easy, but I mean. You've got help. You got to figure it out. It's not the first time you've hopefully probably uh, telecast a game. Let's completely change gears. Um, Erica Flack says, "Please talk about the baseball team. Baseball team, uh, if you don't know, uh, lost another series. They didn't get swept this time, at least. Uh, they they fall Sunday, ten to zero to Georgia Tech. Tech takes the series. Florida State did win on Saturday. They lost Friday with Parker Messick. I don't even think making it uh, two or three full innings." Uh, this is a team that continues to languish, Ira. I don't, I mean, I don't know what it is. They've probably lost like six out of their last 10 or something, maybe even worse than that. It's just they're uh, what they've been known for for so long and what Mike Martin Jr. kind of made his bones about doing as a, you know, hitting instructor was having really good offenses. They don't even have that, and their starting pitching has kind of failed them a little bit here recently. Uh, anything else you would like to add about the current state of Florida State baseball? Who has Florida this weekend, or this week rather, in a midweeker, and then Louisville comes to town? Yeah, I mean it's bleak because I mean I think they're seventeen and thirteen right now. I think they're um, below five hundred in the conference. I think they're seven and eight in the conference. As you said, they've got Florida coming up, Louisville coming up. It feels like there's been times in the past, and I, I think it's the nature of business, baseball where there's been times in the past, even when Coach Martin's last few years, where there were years where you felt like, okay, this this is going to fall apart, and then they kind of find something and turn it around. Uh, I think you people would note that you know some of these teams that they they're losing to now we're on losing streaks before Florida state played them. So it can turn around. Um, but it's, you know, Oh, so they're 18 and 13. Um, they're seven and eight though in conference, but I mean, you said they're below 500 in conference play. So you were, right. you were accurate. You're right. But, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, the, it all goes back to the offense. I mean, the pitching wasn't great this weekend at Georgia tech. Well, that's a really good offense and pitching's you know, nobody's going to be perfect. They're human beings. You're going to have a weekend where you're not great. The, the problem is, the offense is giving them no margin for error. You know, the week before, I think Parker Messick pitched a great game and they lost an extra innings. I mean, so they're not, the offense is doing so little that the defense, I mean, the pitching has to be perfect every day and that's just not realistic. So, I mean, it all comes back to the offense and it all comes back to Mike Martin Jr., as you said. I mean, he, he's got to figure out a way to get these guys to hit. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence. I don't think it's a lack of ability because some of these guys have hit better in, in previous situ- seasons, you know, we, you know, you and Corey and I were texting about it. You know, Terrell is a guy who um, is his, you know, he struck out in his career, but like he didn't strike out anywhere near a year ago when he's striking out now. Um, is that pressure? Is that 
um, you know, the coaching staff not connect. I don't know what it is, but ultimately, you know, it's hard baseball because, you know, we're not in the clubhouse. You only get to see them. We don't get to cover practice, things like that. But it just seems like there's something going on in that lineup where they just cannot produce and, and it's just a million strikeouts and, and, and too much pressure on the pitching staff. Yeah, the only thing that I thought might be encouraging was it seemed like he finally did kind of settle on a lineup. I mean, he has been changing and putting and throwing in every sort of possibility. It seems like this weekend he's stuck with pretty much like a core nine guys, but um, nothing able to happen. And then you get punched in the mouth on Sunday, you get shut out. So that's a bummer. But, you know, go ahead, beat Florida this uh, midweek game. And then you got Louisville coming to town, who's number one right now in the Atlantic, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, sneak that series away. And it speaks to your whole point about baseball season fortunes can kind of change. Uh, quite quickly. Uh, again, we'll have Michael Langston coming up here in about five minutes to talk about recruiting. Huge weekend with the Guardian Gold game going on. Guardian Gold showcase, maybe. I don't even know if we call it a game any longer. I like this point brought up by Octavio on YouTube, Ira. It says, do you think the erraticness, if that's a word, of the situation has made it more challenging for the offense to find a rhythm, hence the not-so-great play? It, they try to simulate a practice, Ira, but they don't, you know, even when they start off with 11 on 11, they usually break for a little bit and start doing some other stuff before coming back to it. So, I mean, that folks, that wasn't how they they practice either in terms of situations and and flow. I mean, could that have been maybe one of the things that kind of uh, tripped them up a little bit? I mean, it's possible. I mean, you know, again, we're kind of getting back to that same thing of like, if, 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 if people, if you've seen success before, if you've seen this passing game work at a, at a good level, at a high level, and you have a bad day, you could kind of excuse it. Um, but when, you know, people are looking for that first glimmer of hope to really believe that, okay, you're going to be able to pick up third and eights. You're going to, like he did earlier. And I thought that was, I also wish they hadn't started with that stupid two minute or uh, two point conversion thing, because those plays two point conversions. And I don't think they explained that to the, to the crowd, what they were even doing, but a two point conversion is kind of like, you can be a little bit more risky with the throw because there's not a second down. So you're, it's a touchdown or, or an incompletion, or maybe they pick it off. So I'm not quite as upset about an interception on two point conversion. You don't like a pick six is, as you would be like on first and goal from the two, but I, you know, just watching it live, we didn't know what they were doing, but anyway, so you start off with three of the first six or seven plays or picks, each quarterback throws a pick and then you go to the offense and you know, they had that nice drive. Again, Jordan hits that third down pass to Treshawn Ward. You're feeling pretty good about it gets it going and get the, and then all of a sudden you get the, the, the fake sack and then the, the drop pass. And it just seemed like things kind of went backwards from there. So I, I don't know if it, I, you know, there's a million things you could point to for what, why it didn't work well. I just think is that, you know, if I, if I was, you know, the, the, you know, pulling the strings behind the curtain, I would have figured out a way to, to make it look a little bit better offensively. Right on. All right. Um, why wait? He's here. We see him in the green room hanging out. So let's go ahead and bring our recruiting analyst, Michael Langson, warchant.com. He and Austin Cox have been uh, intrepidly working the beat over at the Moore Center. Um, this is a huge weekend for recruits, obviously, uh, with the Garden and Gold game being in town. Michael, welcome to the Terror Dome. How are you, bud? I'm, I'm great, man. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good, man. Glad to have you. Uh, long weekend, fun weekend, uh, interesting weekend uh, as far as the spring game. I think Ira kind of touched on a, a lot of, of what we saw. I was I was kind of surprised some of the stuff that I saw at the beginning of the way it was run. But, um, but at the same time, I think it was a very positive weekend as far as recruiting because a lot of these recruits, they want to see like the different new guys they have. It wasn't about like, 
you know, some of it's the sets they run. They want to see, I mean, there was some nice sets they ran that really intrigued them. The way they, you know, found ways to get the receivers the ball, you know, the stuff the quarterbacks do. I think they like that stuff. Uh, so I don't think the, I don't think recruits viewed it the same way the way fans are or how we critique it of, of how it could be run. But I think really um, overall from a recruiting standpoint, I think it was really good. Right. If uh, spring games probably don't tell you what's going to happen in the fall, they, they certainly don't have much bearing on what a kid's going to determine when it comes to, to signing day. Uh, Michael, I, I know there's been a lot of guys that were here on campus this weekend. We can get to them. Uh, I, I don't know. Should we should we spoil the? Should we go, go right to the lead? Ira, Adair, Amarius Mims, man, um, that's <laughs> been on everyone's mind here. That's in the chat right now going on. Uh, huge prospect figuratively and literally who enrolled at the University of Georgia. What do we know about him now entering the portal? What do we know about maybe what his, his recruitment was like in the past, the relationships he has, and uh, whether that's a, a legitimate possibility on the radar for Florida State? Well, what we do know is um, this kid likes a- Alex Atkins a lot. Like, and I say a lot, he was he mentioned Alex as being his favorite coach uh, when he was being recruited. Obviously, at that time, FSU was trying to get to you know, a trending up point of where they are as a program. Um, but he really liked Alex. They're tight. Um, Alex is really good, as I've explained, I'm from the Atlanta era recruiting. So obviously he ended up with Georgia. But I think, um, you know, certainly the relationship is, is strong there. And now kind of what he's done with this offensive line. We've seen the the changes of what they've done with the offensive line. And, um, yes, they are a they are a very real candidate in this race. I think Miami is as well. I think some people were kind of like Miami was the edge. But. I would say watch out for FSU. Just uh, you know, relationships are a big deal, and I think FSU is a player uh, in this in this race. And he certainly fits the, he fits everything you're looking for. That they we know they wanted to get one more offensive tackle, and, and Amarius would certainly fit that. Um, um, certainly, it seems like he probably won't end up somewhere in the SEC because he'd have to sit out a year and have to get a waiver. But uh, I think uh, both of those teams are are very real candidates for, for Marius Mims. And, and I go back to uh, just that relationship with Atkins is a big deal. Relationships are a big part of portal recruiting. When you're getting these kids and bring them in and, and trying to reel them in, there has to be some kind of connection to that program, whether it's a coach or whether it's a, that's a school they liked growing up. I think that's a big deal with a kid like Mims. Do we have clarification on that, Ira? I did see a couple tweets, and Michael, you can also obviously chime in on this as well, about him having to get a waiver. I thought with the the one-time transfer ability with the portal now, uh, that sort of stuff wasn't um, going to be an issue. Uh, Is it an SEC rule or something we're talking about with this waiver possibility? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure with the SEC. I know the ACC ended up dropping it, um, and I'm not 100% sure where the SEC is right now, but um, but regardless, I mean, it seems like everything we're hearing is FSU and Miami are the top, probably likely might be the top schools. And, and FSU, as Michael was saying, you know, Michael mentioned this to me earlier that Amarius Mims might go in the portal. So I went back and was reading some of the articles from when his, he was being recruited earlier. And as he said, I mean, those comments about Alex Atkins and him being his favorite coach, uh, it was something that, you know, Marius said numerous times. Now he ended up signing with Georgia. So it didn't matter then, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, but it certainly is a positive thing for Florida State. Um, according to AL.com, Alabama.com, uh, this was published in June of 2021. SEC will allow immediate eligibility for interconference transfers. Change in policy takes effect immediately, follows a recent NCAA okay. rule change, 
allowing for a one-time transfer waiver for Division One athletes in all sports. Uh, but we'll obviously keep our, our fingers on the pulse of that one. But right. Yeah. So, um, Mike, also in the uh, chat, uh, I know a lot of times with spring games or big weekends, uh, you know, there's excitement, hoping that some guys will commit. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen for days afterwards. Uh, and I know we could talk about some individual guys, but overall, do you think that they may still get any commitments out of this weekend? Uh, first of all, William, I didn't promise any commitments, but, uh, we'll get into that, uh, anyway, <laughs> but, um, that's why they're called commit watches. Uh, but, um, like I, I think it, I, I've said this uh, many times, even afterwards that, you know, really you commit sometimes happen at the moment and sometimes they happen then, but they don't, they're not announced or, 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 or public, uh, right that point. So I, there's a lot of, uh, several kids, I'll say, I mean, maybe, you know, between two to two to four guys that they feel really good about uh, that have indicated like, hey, you know, this is a place uh, that I feel really comfortable with that I think, you know, is likely the likely destination. Uh, I think they accomplished everything they wanted to as far as with the recruits, the stuff they did, the activities, um, the things they showed, uh, the spring game. Um Kudos to the FSU fans that came out. They really came out in good support. I think 30,000. It's a really good crowd for a spring game. Um, so I think that impacted several recruits as far as just the atmosphere in general and just overall just seeing these different players that they have not seen uh, with FSU from a spring game perspective really jumped out to them. And certainly with the defensive backs, which I felt like were the best unit out of everybody, they just had a really good day, defensive backs. And I heard that a lot from recruits. Like they were really blown away by the performance by all these defensive backs. And even some of these young guys like Sam McCall that were able to come out there and make plays, I think it really had a, a solid, strong effect on, um, you know, just kind of what these recruits wanted to get out of this weekend. So I think it's very positive. And um, I think it's, um, like I said, these commit watches are, they're no guarantee. It just means like we have to base it on the intel and indication of, hey, these guys could pop if everything clicks right or they publicly want to do it. We don't, I go, I went into this weekend, like we do publicly know when they're going to decide. There's not like we told people like, hey, they're going to decide this weekend, but there was, it's, that's, that's why they're called a watch. So who was the, um, the receiver that just committed like a week or two ago, but he'd actually committed like three weeks earlier? Uh, yeah, Goldie. Darren. Darren Goldie Lawrence, um, yeah. he, he committed and, and that's the thing. And that's a perfect example of that I was like, he committed three weeks ago, but it wasn't announced till, you know, like, you know, three weeks awesome. to that point. So it's really just a timeline of whenever the recruits want to do it. Um, do I feel good about all the guys that I put in our commit watch? Absolutely. I do. I feel FSU is in the best position with all the guys that we listed, but every single one, I think, FSU feels very good about their position. I feel very good about their position. Obviously, it, for fans, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, sometimes they put too much kind of what you want to see uh, from performance-wise on the spring game. And then it's the same thing where in recruiting where people don't view it as a positive weekend if you don't have commits. It's like it's like the world is going to blow up on um, April 10th if, if kids don't commit on that game. So I, I think uh, – you have to look at the big picture of everything of, of what came out of the weekend, um, how positive it was, how the positive reflections were from that weekend. And I think it was pretty positive based on the, you know, the intel I'm already getting uh, from the event, both with talking to recruits and then talking to people kind of behind the scenes of 
that are that are close to each recruit and um i think it's certainly positive let me um i want to jump right in again aslan sorry um going back to darius mims marius mims because some of the comments in, in the in the chat which are great we appreciate the comments are along the lines of yeah well it does relationships are great but nil is what really matters the one thing i'd say about that and i don't know marius mims at all and you know i certainly don't know what he's thinking none of us do but yeah. i would say this you know you only get it's a one-time transfer rule Yep. You know, it's you get a one, you get a free one-time transfer, and you can play right away. If you transfer again a year later, that's not you don't get to you have to sit. I think you have to sit out at least a full year. So I think kids are a little bit more careful with the second school than maybe they would be with the first school because you right now if you sign with a school, you kind of get that get out of jail free card where you can transfer anywhere you want, whenever you want. But after he picks this school, and I'm not again, I'm not telling Marius what to do, buddy. But he's got to be right that it's the right fit, the right coach, the opportunity to play right away. Because if you go to a school based on the NIL, but you don't get to play, or you know, you don't, or that coaching staff doesn't know what they're doing, whatever it is, whatever the case is, then you know you have a lot more to lose than just what that NIL money. And, and that in Florida State, we've seen is trying to make a commitment, is making a commitment with NIL as well. So I don't. Again, I just want to clarify that there's. This isn't. They can't just keep transferring every year. This is a pretty big decision for him. Yeah, it's big, and and two, it's like uh, assuming it is FSU or Miami. Say say it's going to be one of those two schools. These aren't two schools that are just uh, tearing it up in the NIL department. They're they're doing FSU's doing better. Obviously, Miami's doing you know okay, uh, do doing well as well. But um, we're not talking about Texas A and M here or Alabama. You know, we're it's talking about. Cal. Yeah, Southern Cal. We're talking about teams that, um, you know, we're kind of just, you know, figuring things out as far as the NIL goes. But uh, to Ira's point, like, yes, it's about the fit. The fit's more important when it comes to transfers. You know, um, I talked to Tom Lang on the sh- uh, show yesterday, and I, I, I told him, like, when I talked to Jared Verse, NIL wasn't even a factor, like zero, like zero percent factor, like because they know when they go to one time, it's got to be the place. Um, um, so you have to be sure about this stuff. And I don't think NIL is as vital as some people think it is uh, in, in the transfer portal department compared to maybe, you know, high school recruiting. It's it's probably more because uh, there's more of a vested future of what you're going to be and what you're going to get when you go to the schools. Now, I'm not saying it's not important. It is. But I think I think the fit is uh, for a lot of these kids uh, that are transferring is is more important so yeah, relationships are a big deal. It doesn't mean FSU is going to get them. It just means that it's an important part, um, and it's certainly F- something FSU does the best as, as far as relationships. So we'll see if that that part of the equation of relationships wins out. Otherwise, Michael, a, a trio of guys to talk about. You know, Desmond Ricks, obviously the, the number two overall prospect, but that's for 2024. We'll save that for the website, warchant.com. Check it out. But but Wilkie Renaud, Roger Kearney, Chris Parson, uh, these guys uh, being on campus, uh, what did that maybe help out with Florida State and their either securing commitments or firming them up in the case of Parson? Yeah, by the way, and Parson had a vintage uh, Bobby Bowden 93 jacket on. Uh, for those that missed that, it was pretty cool. I was like, sure. I was like, how'd you pull that off? Like, uh, so that was pretty, uh, that was pretty neat. Uh, yeah, Parson was really, I mean, when you saw, when I watched Parson like the whole weekend, I mean, we see him going in and out and stuff. And he was like basically part of the hosting almost like just, you know, how we see, you know, Charity and these guys hosting the guys around the campus. He was telling them where to go and this is the place to be and this is a good place to check out. And 
Um, so I think Chris really helped things up. People be uncomfortable. Um, Wilkie Denod, we interviewed yesterday. I think FSU sits in a good spot there. I uh, even indicated felt like, hey, he thought about it, you know, as far as decision, but, you know, he's not quite ready to do it. So he wants to he wants to make sure he sees a, a couple of schools. And I, I, the other thing I want to touch on is like FSU almost like encourages kids to they want them to obviously they want them on campus a lot, but they want these kids to see other places because they they feel so confident about their product or what they sell on recruiting that they want other kids to see other places and say, hey, we know FSU is better. That's how confident they feel about their product. And um, it's kind of a vast difference of what we've seen where <laughs> I was going to say, didn't, didn't Willie like refuse to take their commitment if they said they were yeah. going to visit other schools? Yeah. So it, it tells you a lot about how confident they are and what they sell and what they pitch and, and kind of the way they do stuff. So uh, I think they sit pretty good uh, with Wilkie. I think um, they've done a great job with him. They've recruited him the hardest. And I think he, I think he sees kind of what they do. I think he, he really liked what he saw from, you know, the young defensive ends and the, and, and even Jared verse, uh, just how fast and quick he is off the edge. And I think a lot of people forget like Jared has like several years, you know, left. So yeah. he's kind of a, a young guy, so to speak. So, uh, I think that really, you know, just watching those guys, uh, you know, really is, is something that, you know, jumped out to Wilkie and he was decked out in Florida state gear, by the way, a lot, like more than I've ever seen Wilkie. And so, uh, that was kind of, that was kind of interesting deal, but, um, I think overall the, I think they sit in a pretty good spot with uh, Denon. Last, my, my last thing real quick. So Chris Parsons definitely an impressive impressive guy, no question. Um, the the who I can't remember my, my guy's name, the 2024 kid that was the quarterback that was here. Jaden um, Davis. Jaden Davis. Okay. So I've watched a couple interviews with him. Good grief, man. That guy, he, he, he could be running for public office right now, and he's like a junior in high school. Um, do they have any chance with him? Yeah, J- given, J- given that they already have a commitment of 2024 and 2023 a quarterback. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. I, I'm glad I brought that up. It was kind of a thing like, yeah, you, you could tell Jaden's done a lot of interviews. You know, Jaden's yeah. very, very good and very sharp. But um, the thing I noticed, and it was kind of, we go back to last year. You know, when Nico Marcial and AJ Duffy, it was like, man, it was like um, your ex-wife being in the same room with your girlfriend, and it was like. It was so awkward, um, but um, they already have a commitment from Luke Cromachite. Cromahoke, uh, I want to say it right. Um, Cromahoke is committed, but then you have Jaden Davis, who's a five-star that's on campus. But it wasn't like uh, you could tell like Luke was not bothered by it. Um, now, that stuff can change if, if Jaden decides to go committed. And maybe maybe that changes, but it just had a different feel for that. Um, they very much have a real shot. Uh, I think Clemson, North Carolina – Florida State are the three teams I hear the most, and I I would I'm not gonna come on the show and tell you like oh I think FSU is leading, but I do think FSU has the best relationship with him. Uh, I think he really likes Tony a lot. Uh, Tony Tokarts, the new quarterbacks coach, I think even more than he probably liked uh, Kenny Dillingham when he was here. I don't know what it is about Tony. It's just maybe a personality that he connects better with Tony, but there's, there's certainly something that's gravitates him to him. And then I think he likes Norvell a lot. And I think, I think the fact that he brought, um, uh, one person told me one source I talked to brought more family than any place he's been, uh, which I think says a lot when you know that he's in the Carolinas, he could do that, uh, you know, probably take uh, a bunch of family, but the fact that he brought so many family members with him, and this, the body language he was giving off, was it like, Oh, I had fun. 
and this is nice, but you know, I'm probably not going to come back or something. It wasn't like that. It was like he immediately responded. Like when you asked him if he was coming back, he definitely knew he was, he knew exactly when he was coming back. And just the fact he had so many families and just the body language he was giving off, it felt very genuine and authentic of, of the interest level. So I think there's extreme interest level. Now I will, I will say that it will be interesting to see what happens if, if somehow he jumped on board of what would, if that impacts Luke of um, Luke didn't give off that vibe that it would, but uh, as we've seen in the past, uh, Nico looked fine too until, until AJ jumped on board. But um, I, I think there's a real shot with Jaden. I think there's a real shot because of, and he doesn't seem like a kid that's like enamored, like, Oh, you got to win 10 or 11 games for, to get me, or you got to be Alabama or you got to be Clemson or you got to be, you know, these teams to get me. It was kind of like he's he's built into the the vision of what Norvell's doing and where they're going, and he sees kind of the trend of where it's going. And and you could tell, like, he would be excited to be a part of that. Uh, he would be excited to be a part of kind of that program. And I know our own Austin Cox loved the fact that he was wearing a Braves hat because uh, yeah. Austin's a big Braves fan. He's like, that's my guy now. You know, so uh, it was – I, I think the interest was very genuine uh, throughout the whole whole weekend, and I think uh, I think it showed. And they did. I watched these guys because I wanted to watch what they did with Luke and what they did with Jaden, and and they were equally. They did a really good job, equally showing the amount of time for both of them, not making one feel left out. Uh, so that that impressed me a lot, just because that's tough. That's challenging when you're talking about two quarterbacks in the same class. So I think uh, that jumped out to me as far as the the Jaden Davis visit. All right. Heck of a wrap up from our own Michael Langston covering you on the recruiting front. He and Austin Cox holding things out the Moore Center this weekend as uh, numerous five stars were on camps, including Jaden Davis. Michael, uh, we appreciate the knowledge and everything, man. Go to the PRB, show some support to uh, Michael and Austin for their work. Check out everything they've got out there. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. And uh, tonight we'll have uh, I'm going to do a recruiting wrap on the weekend. I'll go through each prospect detailed and We'll throw that up. We have a lot more features uh, probably coming out through the week. We've still got a lot of guys. I mean, I mentioned all these guys, and we did so many articles the last few days, and and there's still like probably eight or nine that we probably want to get up with and see how, how things went. So um, certainly stay tuned to WarChant for the spring coverage and also the recruiting coverage is going to be a lot more coming up. Thanks, Michael. Michael Langston, he's the dude. All right, Ira. Uh, that kid, I don't. I haven't heard any of his interviews, but I just oh. saw his tape. My gosh, he's pretty good. His arm is quite talented. He's got yeah. arm talent. Yeah, no, that's impressive. But again, man, like watch him talk. I don't know where he's going to go, but um, you know, if he, wherever he's going to go, I mean, he's, I think they're going to be happy. He just he's one of those kids that you know you can just tell. And the Chris Parsman kid, uh, that for that is committed for twenty twenty three for four state is another one that's very, you know, these young guys, man. Like the, I, I didn't talk like that when I was coming out of high school. I barely talk like they do now. Uh, but they're they're impressive young men. Yeah, for sure. Um, have you watched the climb at all? Octavio has been asking this on multiple platforms. I, I never answer it with, with, uh, on more on wake up. Cause, uh, Corin, I don't watch it, but you haven't um, watched it. I, uh, watched I, it no. I watched the first three. I didn't watch the last one yet. Um, uh, I mean, they're good. I mean, they're, you know, it's a good slice of life. I mean, there's nothing like super, you know, sensational, but I think for, you know, we're, we're out there a lot, you know, right. so we're, and we interact with the coaches all the time. We interact with the players. Um, so it's good. I mean, it's a nice thing for them to do to kind of give a slice of life of, you know, they had our guy, Robert Scott on for a while. And I think in the second or third one. Um, so we always, we always love to see that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they're good. I mean, they're, you know, again, it's not, 
I wouldn't say it's like they're not like 30 for 30s, but they're a nice slice of life. And it's it's good for Florida State to do something to kind of, again, just kind of get some enthusiasm going and keep whatever enthusiasm there is and foster it going into next season. Because you don't want to – like you don't want to get into next season with people not excited and then midway through the year they realize, oh, wait, this team's not that bad. You know, I, I'm always for – you know, I'm a hype man, man. Let's get them going, going into the season. I don't like watching them because it makes me jealous of like uh... – The access? Yeah, the access and the equipment. I'm like, I could do better than this if they would give me all this camera and manpower and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, they're out there. We see them running around. They've got uh, multiple camera dudes doing stuff. And they used to just have one poor guy from the creative service department like running everything. So uh, they've picked it up. Uh, Don Rurick adds that he believes and agrees with you, Ira, about this whole NIL thing. And when it comes to being in the portal, this kid, that would be at Marius Mims, could jeopardize his future ability to make uh, NFL money. I guess if he chases uh, the money and doesn't make a, the right decision. That is... That is a very valid thought, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, uh, it's and 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 it's something that the schools are trying to tell a lot of these guys when they're here. And I know you've talked to a couple, at least one player's parent about this, and the the idea that the money that they can make in the NFL is way bigger than what they can make in any of these NIL deals. I mean, for the vast majority of these, you're talking about five hundred bucks here, a thousand bucks there, maybe fifty thousand dollars, and or or bigger for some of these the highest rated guys. But again, it's nothing compared to what their contracts would be in the NFL. So that that really should be the focus, um, I think. But, you know, man, it's easy for me to say I'm not 19 years old. Um, should we ask? You, you, put, you can put me to it. I'll, I'll, I'll fall on the sword. I've already got stab wounds all over my body. But uh, people asking about Winston Wright, would it be possible that he'll be back by the start of the season? I can ask Mike. He already doesn't like me when I ask him questions about player availability. It's, but it's not—it's not you. He just doesn't want to talk yeah. about injuries. Uh, I mean, he's not going to. What's he going to say? He's not going to say because they don't. I don't know if they really know. I mean, every rehab is different. And when we talk to trainers and doctors, I mean, they, they will always tell you, you know, you don't ever know for sure. So they're not going to say, "Oh yeah, he should be ready for the start of the season." Because then, what if there's a setback, and then he's not, and then all of a sudden there's a big—it's a big story. Well, you said he was going to be ready, so. They're not going to give any indication. I mean, it seems like it. You know, there's a good chance we'll be back. At, from what we hear, it sounds like there's a good chance we'll be back at some point this season. But I don't know whether or not that's the first game, the third game, the sixth game. Well, how about uh, Elazar Mendoza got in late? Did they recap the spring game? I haven't seen anything on it yet. What would you tell someone who wasn't able to watch any about the spring game? How would you recap it to them, Ira? I would tell them to go to warchant.com and read all the stories that Corey and I wrote. Corey wrote his observations. I wrote a story about Trey Benson, the running back, and also about the defense. Uh, we've got other – Corey also wrote a story about Micah Pittman. But if I had to give it to you in a recap here uh, on the Sunday Smash, I would say running game looked pretty good. Defense looked very good. Uh, the passing game w- was inconsistent. And it was hurt particularly by quick whistles on sacks. I mean, they don't – They. I think it's – partly because they don't want to get any defensive players anywhere near Jordan Travis. So if a guy gets close to him, they're blowing the whistle. And then also I think they are trying to, and we've seen it in practice where they don't want Jordan to extend plays and make something happen. They want the offense to work. And so it's almost like a penalty. Um, and, it, and if, and if he hasn't made a decision quickly enough or Tate Rodemaker in a couple instances as well, they're, they're blowing the whistle and calling it a sack. But I just feel like in the game, they would the, the passing game would have looked better, I think, in a real game if they if he could have rolled out and made plays with his feet, but but uh, that didn't happen. So overall, it was a it was a decent day, but mostly the defense and the running game, I think, were the standouts. 
reliable resellers cannot uh, endorse or attest to whatever uh, product or service they provide at reliable resellers, but they do ask a question. Uh, do you think at some point players will stop caring about going to the NFL if they can make a few million in college, Ira? I mean, I don't think they're going to be making a few million in college. I mean, there, there might be like this one or two situations. Most people I talk to in the industry, whether that's at Florida State or at other schools, seem to think this market is not going to last. That this throwing all this money at it is something that everybody's doing right now because they feel like, hey, it's the Wild West. There's no you know rules in place really right now. Let's do whatever we can do. And everybody's excited about it. And people want to write checks and go do it. The feeling is that there's going to be a, it's going to be a bubble that's going to burst and people are going to realize that didn't really change my team all that much. And my business didn't really get that much out of it. Like a business right now might think, oh, well, you know, yeah, of course I want these athletes to come out and it's going to be a great event. Well, what if it doesn't really materialize in much business? Now they're probably not going to be as willing to write as big a check the next time. So there's a feeling that these, these numbers are going to come down a lot. I still think the NFL money is going to be much bigger. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, could we have come up with a package that would have had Jameis stick around for 2015? Like, no, like absolutely not. And that's the only time you're, really, you're going to be able to get millions of dollars. It's like when you absolutely know. I mean, I guess, you know, some people took a little bit of a plunge on Bryce Young this past season. Apparently he had like a six-figure deal. Maybe it was even seven figures. Uh, I think six figures is what uh, Saban said at that Texas high school uh, convention. But Man, like you've got to really know who you're going after to to be able to get guys and, and ladies to to pony up the kind of money to get those sort of players. But um, and I mean, any, but didn't didn't DJ Uyungle didn't he have some big deals too? And that didn't work out very well Dr. at all. Pepper. Dr. Pepper, he was on a national commercial with Dr. Pepper. This guy, yeah, uh, yeah it's incredible. But uh, if anything, you know, maybe these guys that end up just being college, you know, te- uh, you know. Al Bundy, Polkai, four touchdowns, and they have like their their really good sort of splash in college, like an Andrew Parchment. You know, maybe they can max out their NIL because NFL might not uh, be in the cards as much. But yeah, I agree, and I, and I hope they, I hope you're all right. And what the folks are telling you about this market, quote unquote, maybe uh, settling in a little bit. Uh, I did want to ask you a, a question that uh, you can always feel free. If there's something you see on the, the screen on the on the scroll, you can pop it up, and we can we can kick it around too. I, we'll take this one. I don't I don't need to ask the questions. What the people ask the questions. Derek Neal. Can you rank quarterbacks in terms of pure passing ability? I mean, that's tough. I, I, I don't know that Jordan or Tate is markedly better than either one. I, I'll be honest with you. If I, if I, knowing their years, knowing that AJ Duffy is a, is a true freshman who should still be in high school. And those other guys have been in college for three or four years. I would say AJ Duffy is the most talented passer of that group. I think based on, where they are as freshmen. I think A.J. Duffy is better now than what either one of those guys was at that point in their career. So I think he'll be the best passer of the three. As of right now, I think Tate and Jordan are – Jordan might be a little bit better, but not a ton better, but Jordan has the legs. So that changes everything. What do you think? I guess the ball comes off a little bit better off Tate's hand, but, again, I don't think it's like a discernible – it's not significant enough – again, to where we've spoke to Mike Norvell and after a scrimmage, he said that the first team defense did great and the second team offense did great, which means his starting quarterback didn't have a great day. And we asked him, what does that mean? It's nothing. Jordan traps our quarterback. So um, whatever sort of significance or difference you guys and ladies think when you're looking at the the, the film that we put up from practice, that Tate's got something that Jordan doesn't, uh, 
clearly not enough to to overcompensate for the gap that's between these two guys. And to, and to um, follow up on that real quick, yeah. when I say that about AJ, I'm not saying he's anywhere near ready to run this offense. What I'm saying is just in terms of the passing, like when his Heisman, arm, you're saying he's going to Heisman, right? When when he, Heisman? when he before they really started getting into the to the installing offense, I I was blown away by how well he threw the ball in different routes. But then once you know he's starting to have to understand the whole offense and protections and all the routes and how it all works together, you see him getting domed up a little bit, and that obviously affects his throwing ability. So, but I think just in terms of hand talent, throwing the football on a field, just to, just throwing the football, I think AJ Duffy may end up be the best passer of the three. All right, that's fair. I like AJ, and you know, you mentioned like on the two point conversion plays go for it. You know, you have really nothing to lose on it. And his interception was pretty much him running and having one blade of grass left. And he just did throw in the corner right. of the end zone to try to make something happen. So that was kind of good to see, although it didn't obviously work out into a two point conversion. Um, well, let me ask you this then, Ira, as we wait for maybe another question or two, as we wrap things up here on the Sunday smash with managing editor of warchant.com, Ira Schofield, hit that thumbs up button. If you are watching us right now, live on YouTube, we certainly would appreciate it. It'll also be on demand in replay form. The starting 11 on defense, I think maybe we have a better idea of who the starting 11 on defense is going to be versus the starting 11 on offense, at least like right now in terms of what we believe. Um, for however much I love Fabian and, and Robert, and I and I do like the 11 guys that I think will probably start against Duquesne and then week two against LSU, Do you? I think it's a significant drop-off after Robert and Fabian when we start talking about Malcolm Ray um, you know, Jarrett Jackson to a certain degree, but then you, you're also seeing like Bishop Thomas and Daniel Lyons running defensive tackle reps, um, you know, and Robert and Fabian can't play 80 snaps a game. Like, will that, will that be something that's going to maybe be an Achilles heel for Florida state that no matter how talented they are in defense, we keep talking about the offensive line and you win games in the trenches. Like, do they have enough depth at defensive line? I think we like a lot of the players they have, at least their, their first four or five guys, but do they have enough depth, especially on the interior right now? Before I go to that real quick, I just saw Carol. I was scrolling up at the other questions, and Carol said Tate should have had that touchdown, and she's 100% right. Oh, that no, was, she's not. No. 100% Look, right. He, he checked up on him. All three guys that were on him slowed down at least two yards before they got to him. Uh, no one jumped up and tried to block the lane. No, I will not. Right, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go watch back and watch a replay. I didn't go back and watch a replay, but I, and those whistles were annoying. But anyway, um, the uh, – right, sorry, sorry, Carol. Aslan shot, shot you down. No. But um, – uh, but no, man, we're gonna have we need to have a debate, man, between the wake up war chant guys and two thirds of Seminole headlines and, and Tom Lang because uh, yeah, it got brought up on Seminole headlines. I'm not with you guys. I think is do, what I think Malcolm Ray needs to be is he an all AC start, starter right now? No, but I think he's as good a backup as probably most teams are gonna have in, in the ACC. I mean, he's a he's a good. I mean, he started a couple games last year. He's productive. He's a he's not uh, again. He's not Fabian Lovett. But I think he's a really solid backup, and I think Jared Jackson is is come a long way, um, and I think he's he's solid. And then you do have those young guys behind him. So I now I, I, and Josh Farmer, I think Josh Farmer is a key a key guy in there as well um, that uh, is a factor. And then the other thing is, I I like you know we saw a little bit of it yesterday. We've seen it in the past. You know when they get in third and pa- passing situations, they're going to move defensive ends inside. Whether it's Briggs, uh, yesterday we saw Verse go inside. Um, so it's not like those guys are going to have to play that. Yeah, I think that I think Coop and Fabian, you know, you'd like to get them maybe playing 50 to 60 snaps a game. And I think those other guys will be fine. I'm, I'm not of all the issues on this team or of, of the issues that we know of on this team. 
I, I wouldn't put that that high up there, but we can uh, hash it out because I know you and Corey uh, see it differently. Yeah, I mean, let me try to find him here as I scroll. I mean, Malcolm Ray played 291 snaps. You're going to make a couple plays. Our guy Khalil Young, shout out to him, <laughs> loyal listener. Um, he's like, hey, Aslan, like Malcolm Ray's made plays in games. Our man, he's played in 291 reps. He's at 291 snaps. You're going to make a couple plays. Um, but I mean, he checks in at 25th on on your you know your grading out on. Yeah, PFF. but you can't count you can't count it that way because some of those guys never played. Right. Okay. Well, he's top. He's your. I don't know. All right. All right. So maybe you're top 15. And we're talking about 11 guys. Good backup. To your point, though, I, I will give you that in terms of yeah. like who's Louisville's second team defensive right. tackle. Malcolm Ray probably on par with him. Like I, I think Malcolm Ray will be like a Robert Cooper type, or like by year five, like really good, significant contributor possibly like all conference selection. I think he's like still probably two years away. I do like what Josh Farmer can be, but I don't, I don't really know what Josh Farmer can be in October. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's quite there yet. And like Patrick, we're talking about Patrick Payton uh, as maybe like one of your top three defensive ends, like that kind of stuff gives me a little bit of concern. Um, but again, you know, we're talking about teams. I think they're going to be like a six to eight win team. So I feel better about where they are now than where they were. And so that's all that should really matter. Well, the, uh, one thing, and shoot, I was just going to bring up. Uh, oh shoot, I had something on the top of my head. May have been, might have been something from the chat. I want to bring up real quick. Um, I can't remember what it was. I'm getting old, Aslan. I can't remember what it was. Uh, it happens to me all the time. Thankfully, but my co-host talks all the time, so, <laughs> so you can mine. I can just you can like, regroup. Yeah. Um, when do you want to hash this out between headlines? You, Jeff, Corey, and I. We can just we can do like a. Like do arm wrestling, and then we'll do like some some running activities, and we have to debate after we're like gassed out and tired. Because <laughs> he was like most mental acuity on things. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll. Uh, it'll be a summer summer endeavor. Maybe we can uh, kind of Tom Lang wearing the uh, like uh, uh, they used to do with uh, Holtz and uh, what's his name with the 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 judge. Oh, oh Mark May. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they're going to court. We'll do that. Tom Lang will wear the the judge's <laughs> attire, and we can uh, litigate it. I'm let in. people I'm vote. In. All right. Well, folks need to know that uh, although the spring game was Saturday, spring football's not over. There's a practice on Tuesday uh, then, Iris. So we'll, we'll, we will be out at that one, correct? Yes. Yes. And we've got a uh, more coverage coming from the spring game. Corey wrote a story about Micah Pittman that uh, I think we'll post tonight, uh, or if not first thing in the morning, and more recruiting stories. Michael and Austin have been cranking out recruiting stories. I know they've got one about a Juco kid, a junior college kid who was here. And uh, is real high on the Knowles as well. That story's coming up on the site as well and plenty of content up there right now. So check out warchant.com. Look at all that, folks. Look at all that. Chauffel, Langston, Cox. Look at all these different names on the screen. Corey Clark. You got you covered. Warchant.com. Use that promo code Warchant30. Lower right corner of your screen is the subscribe button. Hit that. That would be certainly cool. Uh, And if not, if you could hit that thumbs up, tap it on your way out, we certainly would appreciate it. Is the smash going on hiatus now, uh, Ira? Or what's the plans for the smash now that football season's winding down or spring football season's winding down? That probably depends on who you ask, Aslan. Uh, Ira might feel like maybe that's an idea. Uh, Gene Williams may have a different idea. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But um, yeah, I think we'll still be doing it. I, you know, I can't say whether or not we'll do it every week, but I think uh, you'll see, still see plenty of uh, the Sunday smash going forward. Hopefully the baseball team starts winning. Shout out to the softball team, fending off the sweep uh, and getting the win on Sunday. So uh, good for them. For Ira Amazon, thank you for watching, everybody. We appreciate it. Thanks for watching this edition of the Sunday Smash, warchant.com.